Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with Good evening and welcome to The War Room. This is your host, Bill Evans. Tonight's broadcast is coming from a rest area somewhere on I-65 in northern Indiana. We have tonight with us Tim Yarborough. It might be interesting to note that when we first conceived of the uh, podcast, we were talking with some of our brothers and said, who do you know that is most consistently applying the principles that we call Christian Reconstructionism? And the name Tim Yarbrough came up. I sought him out and we spoke. And I was so uh, amazed listening to everything that he had to say. Uh, It's been really a long time getting him on here and us getting our ducks in a row and getting through our learning curves. Tim was uh, born in Lawrence County, Alabama. He presently still lives eight miles from the farm he grew up on. Uh, He's been there all of his life. And his family's traveled extensively. He's married to Deborah, whom he met in college in Tennessee, and they've been married for 39 years. They have three children who are all married and have seven children. He's been an entrepreneur all of his life. And this is what's interesting about Tim. It's not that he, I mean, he's an elder in his church, but he is a businessman first and foremost and a, and a doer. After being re, uh, introduced to the Reformed faith and discovered it's application all of life and it was the call of god upon him he said to begin to mature actually applying what he learned and starting an apprenticeship mentoring program within his various businesses uh the goal was uh, he said was uh, the great need was for leadership and uh, in addition the end objective was to assist in evaluating and opening areas where christian families young men and women can take leadership roles and discover the hand of god in a very practical manner for the honoring of his name and at this point, he has started over 61 businesses in various stages, various fields. And his stated goal, Lord willing, is to implement 200 in the next 10 years. Tim Yarborough, welcome to the War Room. Well, thank you, Mr. Evans. I appreciate the invitation. Well, we are sure happy to have you. We've had a, a rough time working out all the bugs, but now, by the grace of God, we're here. We posed several questions, and you were kind enough to answer them in in our outline form here. But first and foremost, I would just like to give you the floor and um, talk about what God has been doing in your life and in your ministry, a particular interest where your uh, explanation of the various fields of influence and also your very practical biblical work among uh, the widows and orphans, those are two areas that I know you can speak uh, for a long time on. So just give you the floor and let you uh, uh, talk to the church and explain to them what you're doing with a view to the fact that they can do the same thing. Well, um, the the beginning, uh, when I first started uh, I, I was a, a young man when the Lord converted me, and I earnestly 
wanted to serve the Lord. And uh, I struggled with my theology. I knew the contradictions between what I was being taught and the realities of life, but I didn't know how to reconcile them. And then the Lord, through uh, different processes, brought me to uh, an understanding of the Reformed faith, and in particular, uh, faith for all of life. And uh, when I first ran across uh, Dr. Rushduni's institutes and his uh, roots of reconstruction, uh, I was so, I read the first 14 pages, the introduction to uh, uh, institutes, and I was captivated. Uh, This was like drinking water in a desert for me. And uh, so, uh, even so much so that one of the brethren in the area, uh, a pastor friend of mine, uh, he and I, uh, mostly his efforts, uh, got over a three-year period of time the authorization to reproduce those 14 pages, and we had a thousand of them printed for our local area. Uh, to make that available. And uh, so I, I took off uh, uh, from my activity, and, uh, so, and, and what I did was I just spent the next week reading the Institutes and Roots. Uh, that book, Roots, became my mentoring book. Uh, in my business, uh, Mr. Evans, what happened? I was looking for mentors. And older men who would be willing to teach and train me in the Christian faith, and I didn't find any. And uh, what was at first a, kind of a defeat, I mean, the Lord used it to motivate me and uh, help me to be encouraged that as I became one of those older men, that would not happen, that I would... Uh, not only be a willing mentor, but help to educate young men that that is a biblical principle, that we are to make our plans and to build our lives with wise counsel. A companion of wise men will be wise. And uh, so through that process, I began a uh, a mentoring and an apprenticeship program in my businesses. Uh, To this day, we've had uh, between 350 and 400 that have come through that uh, program. Uh, they're not all success stories, but a number of them are. And uh, and the influence of the Christian faith into various spheres of business, and they're they're scattered all over now, uh, Texas and up in the Northeast, and of course in my home area and Tennessee and different places. Uh, but they they you take those principles with you, and so. The thing was encouraging older men. We are encouraged in our culture uh, to look out for ourselves. That as we get older, you know, it's all about us. And in the scriptures, the focus is the next generations. And uh, so I, I spend a little time encouraging older men uh, and younger men to plan for that when you get older. And uh, one of the ways, one of the things that happened to us as we went along and as the Lord began to teach us was I had a tremendous failure in my life. And it was through that failure that the Lord began to educate me into how to build a lifestyle based on the priorities of Scripture. 
and we call it the five circles of influence. And uh, we teach this to everybody uh, because in the scriptures, the Lord does give priorities. And uh, these are very practical priorities. And uh, so if you had a, uh, uh, imagine a piece of paper in front of you and you drew a small circle, that first circle there, we would call self and family government. Uh, obviously, self-government is a requisite before family government, uh, and it's intertwined with it. And uh, in fact, uh, for leadership, it's uh, it's very basic that if a man don't know how to govern within his own home, uh, he is not qualified to govern within the body of believers. And that would also extend out into the community. In that first circle of uh, self-government, we like to emphasize Romans chapter 12 as some emphasis points for, uh, you know, our growing and maturing and uh, writing out a code of conduct based on the scriptures for ourselves. And uh, so in that first circle with our children, our wives, uh, ourselves, that's where we have the greatest investment of time. But it's also where we have the greatest influence, for positive or negative. Then our second circle of influence that we, we call our, our circle of influence is, a, is the people that you choose to let into your life to influence you. This will be either done by choice or it will be done by the choice of others. And we believe that the scriptures establish uh, great priorities there. A companion of wise men will be wise. Make your plans with many counselors. Uh, you don't uh, reinforce uh, evil habits by running around with people who are wicked in your, in your primary circle of influence. And so you choose these people. You choose them, the people who will influence your home, who will influence your life and your children. Uh, and you want them to reinforce godly vision. So, uh, that, but there's another reason for that too, and uh, that is that your influence is very small in the totality of things. And you have to recognize that. And if you're going to leaven a local community, you must have other families who are duplicating what you are doing. Hopefully that will be within, uh, you know, your body of believers as well as other congregations of believers. Uh, but you have to have that circle of influence. It's a, both a protective environment and it's a leavening environment, that second circle of influence. But you also have to recognize that as you move out of the first circle to the second circle, you will have less time in that second circle and the level of your influence will diminish. But that's why you want the influence of all the others that are in that circle. Because the third circle is your community. This is involved in local organizations. Uh, you get involved with starting programs in your local community. Uh, you get involved with local government. You get to know other people, uh, churches, uh, business owners, uh, you could, uh, the homeschooling community, private schools, uh, even people in the public schools. You get to know them, and, uh, and the goal 
is that you, along with the other families that are in your second circle, you begin to leaven that circle. That is the third circle, your local community. It's a lifetime endeavor to do that right there. Circles one, two, and three. It will consume your time. It will consume your life. But we became convinced that God calls us to particular areas. Like, for instance, the elders of Ephesus. They were called to Ephesus. And certainly they had fellowship with brethren in other places, but their work, their labor, uh, their heart was in Ephesus. And so uh, my great failure came early in my years uh, in the uh, Reconstructionist camp is in circles four and five. And uh, circle four, under our form of uh, government and community, would be what we call the state. And number five, circle five, would be the federal and the international forms. They reach more to uh, civil government at the larger arena. And what happened was is that I've spent a great deal of time, uh, Brother Evans, in circles four and five. And as you can visualize, as you move out into each circle, the problem is is that you have less time and you certainly have less influence in each circle as you move out. So with me investing so much time, effort, and energy in circles four and five, here's the great contradiction of my life. I was foolishly investing time, effort, and energy in the circles where I had the least amount of influence and expecting a payback, which no reasonable man should have expected. The other thing is, is that circles four and five only have the resources of circles one, two, and three to draw upon. And so therefore, if we want substantive changes, we have to work at circles one, two, and three. And that's the geography where God has called us. So that's kind of an explanation of how we see the vision uh, in our local community uh, and working there and getting to know the people there and influencing them there. And hopefully that the Lord will raise up people in, you know, 5,000 communities in Alabama. We, we, have helped a number of other areas start to do this same thing in other counties in our state, but we have no interest whatsoever in creating a statewide organization or a control mechanism or any of that stuff. Uh, we want and encourage people to fall in love with the community where God put you, saints and sinners, good and bad, because if anyone is going to take answers to those communities that have the potential to bring honor to God's name and glory to uh, the kingship of Christ, it's us. You know, Tim, and, it, uh, it seems that in this day and age we have such atomic families and people are so mobile that they really have lost touch with their historical roots, their, the town where they were raised or... Uh, many people, it would be they'd be hard pressed to tell you where their home really is. And so, uh, in your case, uh, you're you're living testimony and living out, uh, applying the truth that all politics is local. I mean, family politics, ecclesiastical politics, civil government—it's local, and that's your emphasis, isn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. And, and the other thing is, because people are mobile, that is one of God's greatest gifts to us in our community. Because people can come into our community and uh, they, they, we, we look for them. We provide opportunities of hospitality and we want them to be exposed to the wisdom of God's ways and God's laws applied to practical things in life so that even if they move on, they never forget it. And they become a leavening force. I couldn't tell you, Brother Evans, how many people that have come through our community People who know me know that this is, and I'm not the only one. Others have taken up this habit. But on an annual basis, I probably spend $2,000 a year on books that I give away as missionaries. And a lot of it comes from people who have come. They've been in our community for a while. Uh, or uh, I've worked with them in business or someone else has. And they want to learn more about horses. So we send them a book. When they move on. So they become leavening tools in other locations. Um, Tim, in your building, your, in your networking, and, and you network with a purpose, uh, can you speak briefly to the importance? You mentioned interviewing and uh, knowing, you know, they, it said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And you seem to have a real, uh, you've placed a real emphasis on getting to know people, interviewing people. Would you talk to that about that a little bit? Well, what happened was uh, years ago uh, in our local community uh, over the years, and I, I, we've been active there for 30 years, a little better than that now, uh, we, we began to realize that we needed to be able to know what people believed and why. And so we started a process of going out and interviewing pastors, uh, business owners, organizational uh, heads, uh, charity groups, uh, people on the school board, our county commissioners, mayors. And we sat down, and the goal was not to educate them about anything, but the goal was to get them to tell you their story. Uh, for instance, if you're interviewing a business owner, how they got into the business, uh, how does that being in business impact your family? What have been the positive things, the negative things? And people love to tell their story. And the thing that you discover uh, when you get out and do this, rather than making assumptions about people and what they believe and so on and so forth, is that you learn what they believe and how they think, and God opens up a window in their worldview. But even more so, Brother Evans, is that God opens up doors for you. You discover in your own community that there are people that have had just tremendous heartaches and hurts and pains, which is not surprising. But you can be interviewing somebody in their office and God will open up a door for you to pray for a wayward child who's gotten into drugs. Or you discover uh, that there was a baby that died. Uh, I mean, it's just incredible the doors that God will open. And you can just start praying for them and, and ask them if it's okay before you leave, if you pray for them. And I couldn't tell you how many doors God has opened uh, to have continual conversations with people because of that. Uh, people who are pastors, uh, 
it is amazing when you get them to just tell you their story. How did they decide to become a pastor? Uh, if they had to do it again, would they? What have they found to be the positive things? What have they liked uh, the most about it? What do they like least? Uh, what is your view of Christ? Uh, what is your view of uh, the future? And you, you get these uh, nuggets that God gives you into the world that you live in, that he called you to. It's kind of like going up on Mars Hill and getting to sit and listen to all these people. But the important uh, thing about that is that these people, the, the Lord will cause you to realize that these are image bearers, saints and sinners, the good, the bad. Uh, but they are image bearers of God, and it opens up a door because you're just listening to their story. Uh, we often went out and still do uh, late on the weekend nights, find where young people are hanging out and walk up and just start talking to them. Uh, we've had many times uh, where we've interviewed them and found out their stories, uh, young people that you would have no clue that are actually sleeping outside because their homes are so broken uh, till they can't go home and their parents don't want them home, uh, things like that. And so uh, same thing with the uh, local government side of it. Uh, you, you, you get to discover how they think. And why this is so important is uh, too many in uh, who, who look at Reconstruction are active in Reconstruction, what we forget is when I uh, came through uh, my years of formal education, I was a socialist. Even though by that time I was converted, my thinking was totally socialistic. And, and I had some limited amount of free market thinking only because of my history of studying the, the monetary issue. But then oftentimes we bemoan the fact that other people who went through the same process that we did, God has not yet illumined them or opened up the doors or the people that we met that God sent to us. And so who is to say that we are not the instrument that God will use in their lives as the Lord used someone else in our lives to be that spark? Uh, in my case, uh, it was books. Uh, I went to Mont Eagle, Tennessee uh, on a monetary reform uh, meeting, and I heard a preacher there by the name of John Weaver speak about biblical money. Never heard nothing like that in my life. And uh, but what an encouragement it was to see the Word of God speaks to this issue. And so when you visualize that in your community and you you see that God uses people and you know when you think of Martin Luther's great song a mighty fortress is our God for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us well we are God's instruments to our communities to speak light and truth to it and we need to be wise about how we do that and when people know that you're willing to listen and that you uh, do genuinely care and you pray for them, uh, the amount of doors that it opens up 
it's just incredible things that people will read. Uh, we have a whole group of people that meet at McDonald's uh, several years ago. Uh, what I decided to do was is that I, I became concerned about uh, the suppression of openness in, with Christianity and Bible reading. So what we did started going down to McDonald's and uh, sitting and having coffee and openly reading the Bible. And it's incredible the uh, impact that that had on, uh, you know, conduct and so forth. But today, uh, in our local McDonald's, it is a very common thing to go in there in the morning times and there'll be six, seven, eight, ten people sitting and reading their Bible. So that the social stigma is no longer there. That's the kind of influence that we can have. And then they, in turn, influence others. Tim, um, are you, you, would you say you're well-known in your community? You walk down the street, do, you, do a majority of people that you meet know who you are? Yes. Have any uh, civil magistrates, have they ever sought you out for counsel or input on any matter? Uh, yes. Uh, judges, probation officers, uh, county commissioners, um, is this a is this a result of your is this a result of your process of going out and uh, hearing their stories, interviewing them? Yes. Okay, so that's we know that gives. Uh, <clears throat> I guess we we don't need to throw out uh, friendship evangelism quite so fast, then, do we? Uh, evidently, you, you, there's a there's a, a dialogue, there's an open road, uh, both you to approach them and them to approach you. And some of these men, I presume, uh, obviously you mentioned you've joked before that everybody. And Alabama has been born again ten times. Are some of these men even still outside the kingdom that 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 feel like they have this confidence in you? Yes. You mentioned um, you spoke to something I thought was really important. It was uh, um, it had to do with trustworthiness based on past performance. Would you speak to that? Well, this is a uh, it's a principle that we instituted in our program we do it in our hiring program we do it in our business programs uh, when we are interacting with local uh, magistrates whether they're judges or commissioners or so forth we state this principle up front with them and that is uh, that we want to be trustworthy and we want them to be able to trust us and willing to trust us for one reason and one reason only. And that is, is that they find us trustworthy. And we, we have a, a definition that we use. And I think that it's a great definition and it's one that we can embrace in all of our relationships. Uh, we define it like this. Uh, trust is future expectations based on past performance. And if we think about it, there's a tremendous amount of wisdom in that, and all of us have violated that principle, and here's how we do it. I've never shared this story in probably 25 years that we've been teaching this. Uh, I've never shared this story to anybody 20 years old or older that didn't immediately identify with it. But here's what happens. We meet somebody, and we give them our trust. 
And then they treat our trust at the value we gave it away. And then we get upset with them because we claim they violated our trust. When the truth is, the only person who recognized the value of it was them. We gave it away for free. And the whole dynamic of your relationship changes. Uh, for instance, if we're doing a business deal, if we are interviewing to hire someone, or uh, if you are going down to work with local uh, magistrates of one form or another, if you say to them, look, here's the definition we use. We believe that trust is the most fundamental aspect of relationships outside of having breath. If you don't have breath, the rest of it really doesn't matter. But it's fundamental to it. But we're going to work from this definition. Now imagine that you are being interviewed and this is how you hear it. And you say, Mr. Evans, you and I have no history. And we're going to work from this definition of trust. And that is future expectations based on past performance. Since you and I do not have a past performance together that we can make future evaluations, what we have to agree to do is that we're going forward here. We're going to be willing to earn one another's trust. And that trust is going to be based on keeping our word and our performance and what we do. So therefore, we're going to be either be building trust or tearing it down. And that makes perfectly good sense to people uh, when you put it in that light. But you say to them, and you have to mean it, Mr. Evans, I want you to understand that it's not just a matter of you earning my trust, but I recognize that I have to earn your trust. And I want to earn your trust, and I want you to trust me because you find me trustworthy. I could not tell you how many walls and barriers that has broken down over the years when people find that you genuinely mean that. And even people who are perhaps in local government, and they are your adversaries ideologically, they will trust you. They may not agree with you, but they will trust you. Um, tell us how you have, um, you're, you're at, uh, an elder at Trinity Presbyterian. Yes, sir. But you have, um, stunningly good working relationships. And I presume it's not just a, 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 a passing by a passing as you walk by the, on the street or a handshake, but you actually have your, uh, that particular congregation has a good working relationship with several other uh, local bodies in your immediate vicinity. Can you you want to talk about that a little bit? How how that happens, and what sorts of things that enables you to accomplish? Well, uh, number one is the idea, uh, the shared idea, that the call of God to us is a community based call. Uh, in the sense of where the Lord wants us to work. Uh, one of the congregations was a, a brother, Brother Jim Nelson, that attended our uh, congregation for five or six years. And the Lord called him out to, he was a pastor before, and uh, when the Lord brought him to the Reformed faith, and 
there's a whole story behind that. He was in Texas, and he had to leave there uh, because of the conflict of doctrine. And uh, so the Lord brought him uh, to home to Alabama, and uh, he attended our, our church there. And, and Brother Jim and I have been friends since we were teenagers. And uh, so uh, the Lord moved him out, and there he went through a couple of three pastorates uh, where he was trying to bring people along in the Word of God. And uh, he's a well-read man, and the Lord has used him mightily. But uh, eventually what happened was he had to start a congregation uh, fresh and new on a no one else's foundation. Well, that congregation and us, uh, we've just been like uh, brothers and sisters uh, the whole time. And uh, so... Uh, you know, that fellowship has blossomed over the years, and we do uh, quarterly meetings together. Uh, we, uh, I, I fill in for Brother Jim uh, pretty often. Uh, you know, it'll be three or four times a year, sometimes uh, more repetitious or, or in a row because he's out uh, doing some, you know, some labor somewhere else. And then from that, uh, uh, other congregations that the Lord has raised up of people who, uh, in because they share our vision of, of missions, uh, we do prayer breakfasts with them. Uh, we one of the things that we're about to do is a two Saturday uh, viewathon, as it were, uh, DVDs on the truth about cancer. Uh, we're going to be showing uh, nine DVDs, uh, about five hours one Saturday and five hours another Saturday, uh, on uh, alternative ways of dealing with cancer uh, in our societies. And so what we'll do is we'll have a fellowship uh, together. We'll watch those, and then we'll share a meal together in fellowship, and we'll sit around and talk about it. Uh, we had a meeting uh, back in April. And one of the pastors in one of the other congregations, it's a Baptist uh, church. Uh, Brother Jim's congregation is independent. We're Presbyterian. Uh, there's another community-based church. Uh, and he preached uh, on a mutual fellowship. We do that uh, quarterly. And uh, so there were probably close to 200 of us there. And... Uh, so we, we do things like that together. We will be going down and working together at the SCV reenactment in LaGrange. Uh, we'll be setting up fairs, uh, booths at fairs, and we'll work those together because we share a common worldview. And uh, there are other pastors that we uh, share. Uh, it's limited now, not to the same degree as us, but it's coming along. Uh, they're reading books. Uh, Several of them are now homeschooling their children, uh, those kind of things. So, you know, it's it's short, small leaven, but nonetheless, the impact of it is tremendous. Uh, we do mutual cross-counseling in our churches. We have a church court. Uh, we're hoping to make that a little larger uh, with another congregation uh, this coming year. I've been writing the uh, the paperwork for that. Uh, but there are people that God is raising up everywhere. If we just look for the opportunities to build instead of to tear down and, uh, people who God, he's giving a vision 
for his own glory in our day. And it's there. It's, it's, it's out there. It's, uh, it may not be in the institutional church so much, and I don't see it there, but it is among God's people. Tim, would you would you say it's safe to say that there's something of a in this town of Moulton, Alabama? What's the population there? Thirty four hundred. Would you say there's something of a sanctified atmosphere that's uh, pe- that's uh, actually palpable that people that there's a, that there's enough activity, enough fellowship, enough that the, that 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 there's a sense in which it's a it's a Christian community. Mm. It is heavily influenced. Uh, the great thing that we struggle with, we have two uh, main things that we struggle with in our community. And they, if you lived among it, you would find enough uh, viable and wonderful activities uh, that your, your hands to labor would never lack something to do. Uh, but we, we have a long way to go. But in our, our neighborhood, in our community, there are two things that we deal with that are just serious conflicts, uh, and it crops up in all kinds of ways. One is the historical antinomian dispensational theology. Uh, it, the impact of that is just tremendous, and it has reached the point with the young people until they have properly understood what that faith is all about, and they're they're abandoning it uh, whole hog. They're just abandoning it. Uh, and the second one, the thing that we deal with along with that, that has a tremendous impact, and, and it, we, you just have to ask God for wisdom uh, on the spot. And that is, you know, you 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 kind of mentioned it earlier. Uh, but everybody in your area has been born again 10 or 12 times, depending on how many evangelists have come through. And so there, there is this sense of, uh, of an increasing confrontation in our little area where Jesus is not Savior without being Lord. And there is a heightened uh, sense of confrontation over those two views. Uh, the thing that's so gracious about it is that there never used to be a confrontation about it. But there is a rising chorus in our area that's saying, no, Christ is Lord as well as Savior. And you see that playing out in many different arenas. Uh, from uh, local elections to the school board to what's being taught. Uh, so from that standpoint, uh, that there is indeed a growing, as it were, uh, warrior faith, that's true. Uh, Tim, are any of the, the, are, is Trinity or any of the other churches within, with whom you are in fellowship, are, are, they, are they self-consciously or uh, identify themselves as Christian Reconstructionists? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, are um, are any of the fellowships, either Trinity or any of the other fellowships, are they the largest, numerically the the largest uh, um, congregation within the community? No. Okay. So, but you, would you say that that um, that the 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 bodies within your little working fellowship have begun to acquire a reputation? 
uh, in the community? And, and if so, if someone were coming to, let's say, Moulton, and they're a Christian family, or, and they're inquiring, or maybe they're not Christian, but they're Southern, and they just know they need to have a church. It's kind of like you, know, you need to have a, you know, a, a, an attorney. You need to have a mechanic. You need to have a pastor. Uh, what sort? What What do you think would be the report if someone said if someone was not in your in your in your in your church in particular? Let's talk about Trinity, and because I know Pastor Weaver's been there before because I remember him uh, talking yes, about some events. Every year. But if someone in the community at large were to <clears throat> were to be giving a report on, on on Trinity, what do you think they would say about your all's uh, body? What well, do you think is the perception of the community at large? That we, uh, we've actually been told this uh, by more than one, that we, uh, they think that we're too serious. That we will actually believe the Bible applies to everything in life. And uh, so the perception is, is, is uh, that there's no subject of which these people, People do not believe that the Bible speaks. <clears throat> That's horrible, isn't it? Um, let me ask you um, a, a, another question. Uh, in our previous conversation, you uh, regaled me with uh, the, the explanation of your ministry to widows. And uh, evidently, I, I presume in most counties in the South, uh, or everywhere for that matter, uh, I was really surprised when you talked about some of the demographics and the numbers and, and, and how they were not being uh, ministered to and the importance of that from God's economy. Would you speak to that a little bit? Because I think that is a really overlooked ministry that is, I mean, if we want to, if we want to operate within the favor of, under the favor of God, we need to, we need to be practicing true and undefiled religion, no, no doubt. So would yes. you speak to y'all's uh, uh, widow's ministry a little bit? Well, it is a an effort of not a particular congregation, but of individuals within the various congregations. And uh, we have been doing it for a number of years. Uh, we've more formalized it here recently. But in our county, we have 34,000 people. And among that group of people, we have a little over 900 widows. Uh, among those widows, uh, we were involved in a case uh, two years ago of a lady who spent her entire life helping her husband build a business and properties and so forth. And because of the inheritance taxes and so forth, uh, in order uh, to uh, pay a band of robbers that came onto her property, she had to sell it. Uh, that band of robbers was known as the United States government. And uh, here, instead of protecting the widows, they were destroying her and the future and disinheriting her children, what that woman had spent a whole lifetime helping to build. Uh, so uh, we, we've been doing some things like this over the years, uh, visiting with the widows, and then, but you can't just do visiting with widows. The scripture uh, teaches 
that you have to go further than that. And, and whether they're believers or unbelievers, you have to go to their families and explain to them the duty that God requires of them in dealing with widows within their family and the obligations that they have. And so you, what you do with that is you leaven the idea of God's righteousness in the culture. Now, many times they won't listen to you because what's happened is a devastating thing in that we have separated the economics of our older years from dependency on generations after us. And so because of that, you will hear older people say, well, I don't want to be a burden to them. Or you will have younger people being raised to be responsible and to plan on caring for the older generations. Uh, they have what we call YDS. It's a disease that strikes young people who are unconverted. Uh, and uh, so they, they come to a place where they believe they have no responsibility or obligation to uh, their widowed uh, grandmother or mother. And so our goal is to leaven the culture in terms of families, but also churches. We're writing position papers. Uh, we've done some presentations and some seminars uh, in our local area, but we're doing position papers now where we're going to encourage other churches to join us in the local area in caring for these widows in a number of different ways. And we've had some that have already helped in, uh, uh, in different things. And so this is a way, too, that you can take God's law and reach out across different parts of the community and make it effective and acceptable, a, a ground that you can find a bridge to that will open up doors to uh, other areas. And uh, God is, God's word on widows ought to cause us to be ever so careful with uh, how we treat that issue in our local community. It, it sounds like you are uh, almost like, you know, God is not just in the business of saving souls. He's in the business of saving the world. And one of the things that you're wanting to do in your local community is attract the positive sanctions of God's law. That if when, when a, a, a regardless of whether every individual is participating as regenerate or not, when the, God's law is being honored and God's will concerning, let's say, widows and orphans is being obeyed generally, that does produce positive blessings, grace, and and the and and, and the positive sanction of God's law. So that it does create a more conducive. I mean, I'm, I'm almost thinking, you know, it's like you get on a roll and you say, if we can get more and more people obeying God, <laughs> you know, then, 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 then God is more pleased that, that he's, that his word is being honored and he will show us more favor and he may, uh, you know, attend our efforts with greater blessings. So I, I can see that there's a case in which you can actually build a, a, uh, a wave, if you will, you know, you want, you want to, you, you want to, uh, uh, you want God to spare your community for your sake, and and you're and, and it's it's an amazing. It, it, I, it almost needs to have a video made of you know Moulton, Alabama. Uh, I'm envisioning. Um, if you were Tim, if someone were listening to this tonight and they 
belong to a small church. It may not be Reconstructionist. They may be <clears throat> they may be the only uh, Christian Reconstructionist family in the church. They live in a small town, but they want to begin to see something happen. What would be your first two or three uh, suggestions to them? Things that they should do. They want to to ch- to change their community. They want to reach their community for Jesus Christ. Well, that is a great question. Uh, the first thing that I would recommend is to open up your home to hospitality and start a book reading club uh, and choose uh, some books. I, I would be happy to share a list, but choose some books uh, where you could have a few people over or a family and start reading a book together and discussing the ideas. Uh, that helps build unity and purpose. Uh, secondly, uh, I would get involved in my local homeschooling community and offer to teach a class. One of the greatest things that you can ever do is to become so acquainted with history that whatever argument you want to present, you can present not as yourself, but bring forth an argument from history. For instance, Uh, Mr. Evans, I I know that you're a commissioner and you voted to borrow money uh, to fund this particular activity for the county. But I would like to share with you what Thomas Jefferson wrote about obligating future generations. And I would love to hear your explanation of why you are willing to take a different view of the future and our moral obligation than Mr. Jefferson. Now, when you present it like that, he's not got a controversy with you. He's got a controversy with history. And that helps you. I've I've had had opportunities like that where uh, I've had some of them come up afterwards and say, where can I get that book? Well, I'm just waiting for him to ask me that. Uh, And so in these homeschooling classes, uh, to offer to teach uh, a, a class on economics or a class on history. The pilgrims are a fantastic way to, to do that. They're experimenting in socialism. Uh, the great uh, difficulty, in fact, uh, Brother Evans, the greatest testimony of a congregation I have ever read was the pilgrim congregation. And I use this often uh people who don't know the story of how they came out of England, but they came to out of England, went to Amsterdam and they were split. Families were split apart. Then they moved down to Leiden and in Leiden, they were there for two years and the magistrates in Leiden put the following testimony on the public record about that congregation. Here's what they said. That if a merchant in town discovered that you wanted to go to work for them, and you were a member of that congregation, they would hire you without further question because the people of that congregation had so established the integrity of their character it was beyond reproach. Hmm. What a testimony for an entire congregation to have. Hmm. 
And uh, so you, those are, are two things that you could do. And uh, But not only that, if you're in a small church, open your home to the other people and watch some of the movies that are available today. And, uh, you know, the, you never know what the Lord may do as far as opening the eyes of other people and what tool he may use. And then the other thing that I would suggest is to learn the art of interviewing people. There, there is, in my view, there is nothing that you can do that will more educate you about the people in your community and give you, and God will use it to give you a love for them. Uh, you will learn things that will move you beyond belief about your community uh, in the process of doing that. So, and start simple, you know, with the book club, the reading, uh, getting involved with the homeschooling. Uh, one of the things that we plan to do this year is we're going to be doing mass mailings across the county and advertisements in the paper. And we are preparing families right now to become homeschooling mentoring families. We're going to promote by a full-fledged uh, advertising campaign four or five meetings where people can come to in different parts of the county to learn about home education and meet families who are home educators and for those that are interested that we will be able to we're training mentoring families who will help these other families that are interested in becoming home educating families to come alongside them and take their hands and say, well, I remember those struggles or help you with curriculum or, uh, you know, what do you do with a difficult child? Uh, but our hope, our goal, what we're praying for is that God will give us another 500 families that will begin homeschooling their children this coming year. This concludes part one of Bill Evans' interview with Tim Yarbrough. Please join us next week to catch part two. Thank you for joining us in the War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by My Soul Among Lions. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? Seeking to rid themselves of Christ's dominion, a theme that's true in any